Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the holy day that we have, for the opportunity to sit, to listen, to learn. Lord, each one of us is coming with all sorts of stuff going on. Lord, some of us are distracted out of a busy week of getting ready. Others of us are um, distracted with heavy memories. Others of us are anticipating awesome Christmases. Lord, we come into this place and we need you. We need your Holy Spirit, to do the work. Do the work of infusing my words with power so that they're not mine but yours. That and you understood, okay, I, I see what you're saying. As we wait in prayer, patience in our calling to be revealed how God is using us. But boy, this patience and redemption idea really gets to the heart of the matter. Because we as Christians, we look at Easter and we say, that has happened. God has redeemed God has done the good work. But then we look at our lives and we see a bunch of like messed up things, right? We see things that don't seem to fit together well and and we see things that just aren't working or we look at the news and we go, boy, that doesn't seem right. So what's happening? Where are you, God? And Advent speaks to that because we're people who pray, come Lord Jesus, I'm waiting for you to redeem I'm waiting for you to do this work. And this season brings up, I think, all of those feelings. We get a lot of Christmas cards. We send out a lot of Christmas cards. Okay, we've added, our list has gotten bigger and bigger. And so we send out like around 400 um, Christmas cards. And we do that because of churches in the past and and then the whole church here and people we know. And we just think it's a great way to um, touch people. And so we get a lot of Christmas cards back. And when we see these Christmas cards, you know, the default snapfish, um, the cards you buy, all of these sayings, they, they, they're pointing us to something, but this, the pastor Scott, the theologian Scott, you know, I want more. Right. And so we have these like wonderful little sayings that feel good. Something's like, Winter, a lingering season, is a time to gather golden moments, embark upon a sentimental journey, and enjoy every idle hour. And you think, oh, that's sweet. But like, I wonder what it means, right? And like, where's, where's the depth to it? Or something like this, may the spirit of the holidays be with you throughout the new year. And you say, well, what spirit? And, and, or things like, may joy overflow. And, like, and so for some reason, that's enough. And, and this theologian Scott, the pastor Scott says, but tell me about joy. Tell me about what love is. Why, why do you have hope? You know, but you can't say that to a card or it looks awkward when you're doing that. Um, your, their postman gets like, oh, great. Theolo- theology 101, here we go again. Um, as we get into these terms, though, I, I read these cards and say, the world wants hope. There's something about this season where the heart aches for joy, for love, for peace. There's something about this season that turns us into wanting the truth of those words. 
But the gift that we have is that we can tell them the why. Let me tell you about what hope is. Let me tell you about what joy is. And that's the longing for redemption. I think that longing that people have is that Advent longing of saying, make things right. I, I, I want hope to be real, but tell me how. I want joy to be real, but tell me how. And I think when we read the cards and we see the, the, the little sayings that we have, we have the privilege of saying, can we talk about joy? Can we talk about why we can have joy? We've been looking at Abraham, and, and Abram is a guy who is on this journey, and he's in the midst of asking these questions. Who do I trust? Do I trust myself? Do I find hope in, in little sayings, or do I trust something bigger? And we're going to look at two of the stories. The first was our reading today, and if you want to open your Bible, feel free to, or you can use the screen, where we're going to go for Genesis chapter 14. And... Um, <coughs> I sound worse than I am, though, okay? So I feel a lot better now. By Christmas Eve, I'm going to be feeling great, I think. That's the trajectory we're on. Um, this is a story that's tucked into Abraham's life that gets, I think, looked over. There's a name in here that becomes really important in the New Testament. But this little story is an interesting opportunity for Abraham to make a choice. Do I trust in my ability to save, my ability to redeem, or will God do this work? So what's happened is there's been a battle, and some kings have united against the people of the valley, and they've won. And then the kings of the valley say, let's get together and let's drive out all of these foreigners who are invading us. And Abram goes and he leads this charge, and they're victorious. He comes back into this land, and he's met by two kings. And what's fascinating is one of the kings we haven't heard about. All of a sudden, this king appears. And then there's a second king here that Abram has to choose from. So in this story, Genesis 14, that's where we're going to pick it up. After his return from the defeat of the Sherdalaromir and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva. Now, if I say the word Sodom and Gomorrah, you know what I mean, right? That's been in culture enough that you're like, ooh, Sodom and Gomorrah, not a great place. Full of issues, full of sin. We've heard of that kind of just in culture words as well. So the king of Sodom comes out. And then there's this other king. And King Melchizedek of Salem comes out. Melchizedek, Malik is the Greek word for king. Sodic is the Greek word for righteousness. So here we have, I'm sorry, Hebrew word. We have the king of righteousness coming out of the valley of peace to meet Abram. And he, we have not seen this king yet in all of Genesis. But as soon as Abram sees this king, he knows who he is. He looks to the king and this king brings out bread and wine. The king of righteousness in the valley of peace bringing out bread and wine. Are all of your church bells ringing right now? 
ding, 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 right? You're like, whoa, all sorts of things are happening. Bread, wine, king of righteousness. He shows up. Now, this is so cool. He's not on the scene at all. And in the Old Testament, he's not really talked about until the author of Hebrews in the New Testament, author of Hebrews, all the way later writes and says, that king of righteousness who Abraham worships, that is Jesus. He's this king, and he's a high priest in the order of this Melchizedek, who our forefather comes out, and look what happens. He was priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. Abram sings the king of righteousness, and he gives to him one-tenth. He tithes to him. And the author of Hebrews goes, how great must this king be if he is going to tithe, if Abram tithes to him? Here's Jesus showing up. And then we have the king of righteousness, and next to him is who? The king of Sodom. And Abram is looking at both of these kings. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, after he sees this relationship happen with the king of righteousness, wow, Abraham got down, gave him a tithe, all sorts of things. And he looks to him and says, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. All of that plunder you have from the battle, you take it. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord, God most high, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours so that you might not say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Anar, Eskol, and Mamre, let them take their share. Abram looking at the king of righteousness and the king of Sodom and saying, God will do his work and I will give to him. I will not take from you. God, the most high, he is the one who gives me what I need. He is the source of hope and love and joy and peace. And so to him, but to you, king of Sodom, I take nothing. I am not going to owe you anything. I am not going to be beholden. And no one's going to say, I was rich or blessed because I took something from Sodom. Abram standing and choosing God. This is this Abram who's been familiar with the voice of God, familiar with what God does. And then we move forward to the last story where we see Abram. And Abram has become Abraham and renamed And remember, his promise way back at the beginning was for his family to be a blessing to the nations, for his family to bless the earth. Through him, all those blessings had come, but Sarah's womb was barren. She couldn't have children. And Abram and Sarah did not know how this would happen. And then, miraculously, their son Isaac is born. The baby they've been waiting for is born. The God has promised he's here. And one day, 
Abram wakes up, Abraham wakes up, and God says, I have one last thing for you to do. Are you going to trust me or trust the king of Sodom? Are you going to trust me or are you going to trust in your plans? And this story is a difficult one to read, especially when you detach it from faith, from the goodness of God. Because I have atheists in my life. I have people who read this story and they say, that's enough for me. I do not like that God who would call someone to do such a thing. But when you think about this story without the knowledge that Abraham has, the goodness of the God who has brought him this whole way, his trust in this God, when it gets disconnected from that, I understand their struggle. But when you consider the journey that Abraham has been on with God, when you consider the trust that he has in God, the story starts to make more sense. I want you to hear this story of Abraham and Isaac, and I want you to remember that Abraham has a lifetime of learning to trust in God's resurrection, in learning to trust in the character of God. He doesn't just know the words hope and love and joy and peace, but he knows the God who gives hope and the reason for joy and the source of love. And because of that, he journeys with him. So let's hear the story again. The story that I think many of us have heard, but a story of God's power. So Genesis chapter 22, if you want to open your Bibles. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. This is the Abram who argued with God over how many people in Sodom and Gomorrah argued with God about if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10. He now has God say, go give me your only son and he doesn't argue. He starts walking. How can he do this? Because the character of God and him knowing the character. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. One of the things that a, a woman in the first service noticed, she asked me, how old is Isaac when this is happening? He's old enough to carry wood up a mountain, right? So he's probably 13, 14, 15 years old. He's old enough to be a participant in whatever's about to happen he, if he wanted to, 
could have gotten away from Abraham. But Abraham and Isaac walked together, trusting in God to do something. Isaac has the wood. Abraham has the fire, and he has the knife. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket. When God says, Abraham, he says, here I am. And God says, go and do this thing. And he goes. And then he turns to his son, his Isaac, and he says, where's the offering? And he says, here I am. God himself will provide an offering. And then he's about to sacrifice Isaac, and God says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, here I am. Abraham watched this walk, believing that God will redeem. And I believe that he looked at those servants and said, we're going to go worship and we're going to come back because I know the character of God and I know he promised this to me. I do not know how he will redeem this situation. I do not know how this plays itself out, but I know the God who's in this. And I know the source of hope and I know the source of love and I understand what joy is so I walk forward and I wait for God and when he says something I say here I am and this patience in redemption is what we as Advent people do we know the character of God because he has revealed it to us in Christmas and on Easter and we know he will come back And we look at the mess of things in our own lives, in the world, and we say, Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to redeem it? And we wait. And we walk. And we believe. And we take one step after another step because we know his character. And this is what gets us through Advent. It's in God's promises to us. This is what gets us through things where we do not know or understand how God can possibly redeem. And we wait. And so, as we wait on God, as you wait on God to redeem whatever situation it is that you're in, I just want to give you a couple of verses related to these Advent words that we have. Hope. Love. Joy. And peace. 
that God is the source of these things, that these words have depth because they are spoken by the living God with his character behind them. And so hear these promises from the word of God to you today. The God who brings hope says in Jeremiah 29, chapter 11, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for harm, to give you a future with hope. The God of love, the source of love, says in 1 John chapter 4, God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The God of joy, you show me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's from Psalm chapter 16. And finally, the God who brings peace in 2 Thessalonians. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and all ways. And may the Lord be with all of you. These are the promises of God. These are when we look at King Melchizedek and King Sodom, we can trust in him because he has spoken these promises. When you look at a life that feels like it's just not working as you want it to work and you're waiting for redemption, remember these Advent words, that they're not just hope and joy, but the reason we have hope is because God assured us of life. The reason we have joy is that we can look forward knowing everything will be okay because of what God has done for us. The reason we have love is because he first loved us. These are not just Christmas card statements, but they're the living, breathing God upon us. I want to end um, just with you guys having a moment to listen to a song. Um, I'm taking Grace to... Uh, like a punk rock star show in the beginning of January because you all know um, that that's what I grew up with and the music you loved when you're 16 through 18 is the music you think is great. And so I still think ska is like right from Jesus to us um, as, a, as a gift. But there's a little, there's a band that some of you may know called Reliant K. If you were in youth group in the late 90s to early 2000s, you know this. Um, but I just want to play this song for you as a little blessing because I've kind of rediscovered it in the last couple of weeks, and it's been a beautiful devotional song for me. But I want you to consider um, the ways that you're looking at your life and you're not giving the power of resurrection enough credit. Think about the broken things. Think about the hurting things. Think about the things that you're waiting to be redeemed and pray about those things right now as we get to just enjoy the words and this pretty simple little song um, as a close to this time. Yes. 
underestimate my Jesus You're telling me that there's no hope I'm telling you you're wrong Never underestimate my Jesus When the world around you crumbles He will be strong, He will be strong Possibilities Frustrated and tired Where do I go from here? Now I'm searching for The confidence I've lost so willingly Overcoming these obstacles Is overcoming my fears Oh, never underestimate my Jesus You're telling me that there's no hope I'm telling you you're wrong Never underestimate my Jesus When the world around you crumbles He will be strong, He will be strong I think I can't, I think I can't But I think you can, I think you can I think I can't, I think I can't But I think you can, I think you can Gather my insufficiencies and Place them in your hands Place them in your hands, place them in your hands. Never underestimate my Jesus. You're telling me that there's no hope. I'm telling you you're wrong. Never underestimate my Jesus But when the world around you crumbles He will be strong Never underestimate my Jesus You're telling me that there's no hope I'm telling you you're wrong Never underestimate my Jesus when the world around you crumbles You will be strong, you will be strong You will be strong You will be strong You will be strong Pray that song takes you into this Advent week as you prepare for Christmas, that you look and you look at whatever it is, and you do not underestimate the power of Jesus, that he can do things beyond all of our wildest beliefs, all of what we can hope even, and make life where there is no life.